Episode 12, Del Further with the newly announced Montreal Rebellion head coach upgrade, big moves, Dreamcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Falamel. How are you? Good, good. It's it's bright and early. I th- believe it's Thursday. You know, sometimes esports and the, the, the sleep schedule doesn't always pan out uh, the way that we'd hope, but I believe it's Thursday morning. It's hey, about... man, it's the first day of the owl week. You better know if it's Thursday or not. That's true. That is true. I've I've been up kind of uh, nerding out a little bit, doing some doing my own little my own little research, but uh, we're not here to talk about what I'm doing. We're talk- here to talk about the Montreal Rebellion and your little bit of history because I think um, not a lot of people know who you are. I think people know you for some of the things that you've done, but nobody knows who really Dream is. So I wanted to kind of get into that. And first, what people might not realize or, or know is before you did all this gaming stuff you actually were a film student correct yes yeah that's right i mean i've been i've been into esports for a long time but i was just like a a big fan and Mm -hmm. sometimes i did like my own like analysis blog post stuff but just like as a hobby or whatever but i was uh i was going to school uh studying film yeah yeah I, i i mean i'm still super interested in uh in film but um just some some life stuff you know it's it's not a great idea to go heavily into debt for a film degree um so i i didn't finish my studies but it's something that i'd like to return to i just i still love movies uh yeah a lot yeah a connoisseur of the arts i can definitely appreciate that what what really kind of interests you about movies is it is it the imagery you know what 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 kind of got you hooked in studying about you know sure sure so I'm, I mean, growing up, I was always really into like movies and books, just anything narrative. I really like a good story and good characters and something you can kind of like connect with on like a just at all humans level. You know what I mean? There's sure. just some like elements of stories that just kind of speak to, to pretty much everybody. Um, but the thing that I like so much about film is is the fact that you can like mix all of these elements together. Um, so like just the existence of a narrative but also it's like really visual there's a lot of like sound and music involved and then like the editing process you know the cuts i just think there's uh, a ton of flexibility there and you can really make narratives hit in in very very different ways because you just have so many tools at your disposable disposal rather and so many things working uh together and a whole lot of people working together too like a, a lot of films are uh I mean, not all of them are huge crews, but it's always a big collaboration and there's mm. always a, a lot of people contributing. So you can really like stretch yourself and, and try to do different things uh, that you aren't able to do, I think, in some of those more individual uh, art mediums. No, definitely. I think um, collaboration is a is an interesting word. And now that you kind of pose it that way, I, I guess, yeah, it, it does make a lot of sense with, you know, what the writer does for a script and how the director interprets it and tries to put it in a visual kind of medium. Do you find that maybe that directors are a little bit overblown? Do you, do you, do you wish there was maybe a little bit more love to the, uh, the writers? Is there any like under under undersung hero in when it comes to, to filmmaking? 
Sure. Well, I think it, it really depends, like depends on the film, depends sure. on the director, also depends on the producer because the producer kind of Very sets true. the rules and establishes power. But it's interesting because in film, the power dynamic is very much more towards the director. And there's like auteur theory where, you know, the, the director is like the author of the work and you can look at it through that lens mm. and people debate that back and forth but when you look at theater for example theater the the script the screenplay or I'm, I'm sorry the 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 play itself is considered like the thing you have to stick to it's not mm. up to the director to reinterpret or rewrite on set if sure. things are needed it's like you have to stick to that original work you sit within that framework then you can make you know additional um interpretations outside of the framework but whatever is on the page can't really be argued with mm. um so it's really interesting that there's that that difference there um i think for film in general most i think it really just depends on the budget really like most big films um you can tell the director's influence but you can also tell the editor's influence the you know the director of, of cinematography director of photographies um, influence as well like you can really feel all that whereas when you get into the the smaller movies a lot of the times the directors can exert a lot more control because the producers aren't beholden to mm. um, you know the big investors or whatever so um, it really depends um, and it, it's also to your taste right there are times where I want like some really weird take that you can only get from a singular vision from from a, a director that that has a lot of control um, and then other times you just kind of want things that, that are a little more palatable mm. um, and you go with the bigger the bigger options. What's interesting is people like Denis Villeneuve, the guy that recently did um, Arrival and uh, Blade Runner 2049 is start of sort of starting to get the ability to have a really big budget and kind of do whatever he wants with it. Um, and the last director we really had like that, in my opinion, has been Christopher Nolan and I'm not a, a huge fan of him or his work. So uh, having more people be able to follow in his footsteps, but not necessarily have the same style, I'm pretty excited about. Awesome, awesome. Would you say that, he, not Nolan, but the, the the former director, would you say that he's one of your, um, I guess, favorite? Or, you know, do you have some favorites that, you know, people might uh, kind of latch on to and might know? Sure, sure. So Denis Villeneuve's definitely one. Um, he also did prisoners uh a while back with like hugh jackman um mm. and jake gyllenhaal that's a really really good movie he's just been on a hot streak for like almost a decade now he's actually a french canadian by the way and i'm, I'm oh, from montreal which is go. like a super cool uh super cool thing going on yeah exactly uh which is super interesting i really i didn't even think about that until just now <laughs> um but uh also i'm a really big fan of um the films well the earlier films the more recent films um are a bit more questionable the most recent too but kim ji woon um he's a korean director uh he did like one on netflix that a lot of people have seen would be the good the bad and the weird um which is nicknamed a kimchi western because it's like a korean like western like train mm, okay. heists like sure. cowboy duels like full-on western um really really interesting but actually the reason that i go by dream is one of his movies uh called a bittersweet life there's a like kind of a monologue at the end of the movie about a dream hmm. um and that is that is 
where my name comes from. So cool. uh, definitely Kim Ji-Woon, one of my favorite directors. Um, I also like Wong Kar Wai a lot. He's a, mm. a very well-known um, Hong Kong director. Uh, really, really big fan. Karita Hirakazu is a Japanese director I really like. So I try and I try and kind of uh, watch a lot of, of movies from a lot of different places and, mm. and um, learn from, from a lot of different schools of... Um, of cinema that way i guess so i have i mean i could kind of go on for hours and hours if we wanted to talk about movies on this i think we could do a whole podcast about you know film theory and in teaching my incredibly smooth peanut brain about you know what what makes a good movie and and, you know what is good imagery and you know what makes a good plot all that good stuff hey Um, if we get to watch a bunch of the movies i'm down to do it man i'll go back and rewatch. i just yeah i love movies man that that is kind of interesting um I don't. I don't know if you've caught up with it, but I, I think Monty Monte Cristo for for those of you who aren't necessarily super into esports, but you know he is one of the Overwatch League commentators and has been in League of Legends for um, quite a while, or was at least. Um, was doing. I, I think he was streaming recently um, in, in a very interesting uh, getup and was reviewing old uh, film noir movies. Is that like a genre that kind of interests you? Yeah, yeah. Actually, so before my name was Dream, my my ID was Noir because mm. that's my favorite film genre. Ah, um, okay. So, so yeah, no, that's definitely a, a genre that interests me. Actually, um, no, I'm a I'm a big fan. Obviously, um, I think he did Casablanca, mm. which I would argue is not actually a noir film. It's like a proto noir, and noir films draw a lot of stylistic notes from that okay. but i i would argue that it's not actually a um a hmm. film noir it's like a pre-noir um but bogart was in the first real film noir in my opinion um that we think of that has all the classic beats and and sure. story elements that you think were you know the the you know pi and the the damsel in distress but like is she lying she's so mysterious you know we don't know what's mm-hmm. going on there's there's the macguffin that everyone's after so that film that he he was in the, the maltese falcon is like the the first of them um and uh, kind of the the last noir that kind of the end cap in my opinion that that kind of ended the genre and made it kind of capped everything so we had to start on like the new the new era was was chinatown like mm. the famous jack nicholson uh picture where it kind of ends noir and then everything after that is like a statement about noir or like today's version of noir and they're all like neat called neo uh noir movies and hmm. those kind of took off and and then in the 80s there was a, a kind of the miami vice aesthetic bleeding into things so then you had things like a neon noir and and one of my favorite films of all time is is uh one of those called thief um okay. Oh, it's it's absolutely great, starring James Caan. Um, yeah, one of my all-time favorites. So definitely check check the, any movie that I've recommended on this list. I would say A Bittersweet Life or or Thief um, would be are, are really yeah. Well, they're really really good movies, mm. but they're not just like heady artsy movies that you right. have to be in like a certain zone to appreciate. They're just really good like kind of gripping movies Hmm. that I think are super enjoyable. Yeah. And that's the thing kind of throughout the, uh, my time knowing you, um, I, I I tend to weigh your opinion on things very, um, very highly, I would say. And, And there are times where, you know, 
I might have my own take on things and we can debate on that. And, you know, I, I, again, I'm probably wrong. It doesn't matter, but <laughs> you, you do tend to put a lot of thought in, and um, you're very thoughtful when you kind of put forth and say things and, and, and speak on things. So definitely, again, if, if dream talks film and you're interested, definitely give those a look. But I find that both of us are kind of kindred spirits after kind of, you know, digging a little bit through um, just small talk with you. We actually have uh, a, a weird kind of sh two ships crossing in the night. I was not big on posting on the MLG forums, but I know that you were, and actually you were quite interested in the old Halo circuit for MLG. Is that uh, is that accurate? Yes, yes. Um I was super into MLG mm. um, starting in, in middle school. Um, I had a, a friend of mine at school whose um, older brother played Halo 2 on game battles. Okay. Um, and that kind of jump-started me. Before that, my eSports experience was I was on an online clan on PlayStation 2 Battlefront 2. Uh, oh, wow. Back in the day. So, so just complete... Uh, wild west like not esports at all just a bunch of you know kids smack talking each other yeah yeah Very um cool. so uh that was my experience prior to that but but halo 2 was kind of my start um i was big on the forums i you know mm -hmm. watched all the events i went to a couple mlg orlando's in the early 2010s um but I was also really big in into Shadowrun at the time i was on smash boards i was super into melee and i was there when brawl came out and it like splintered the community and mm -hmm. people went to different websites and i don't know i've just always been been uh really really into to esports it's been a big part of my life but mlg specifically um was a a huge part of that so you know seeing pucket working yeah. uh overwatch league just every day i'm just like pucket's the man like i just i i love I love Chris Puckett so much. I just, um, I think it was, yeah, it was, it was yesterday that I had uh, spoke with Ham Tornado and, you know, Puckett came up and talked about, you know, all the old championship Sundays where him and Sundance would come out with a little, little bit of beef at the top, you know, who knows what they did the night before, but they were here, we're here to commentate and they would do anything and everything. And, you know, that's, that's what I remember very fondly of, of, you know, my summer vacations, you know, staying up a little bit too too late not doing the homework it is what it is but you know we're, we're here we we made something of it right yeah absolutely and and the thing that i i loved about mlg was that kind of like still had that level of kind of grassroots yes. hometown esports yes. e like it became a really big circuit but every year you know like mlg columbus it mm -hmm. was it was personal and it was grimy Yes. You know what I mean? Like that was the heartland of, of Halo was the Midwest and, and MLG Columbus was everybody coming out to, to kind of show out. And I, I loved those events specifically. Um, I can remember old MLG Chicago when mm -hmm. they were still running shadow run with most of final boss playing under STK. Uh, that's, 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 that's a, that's a throwback. That's an, that's a very old name. STK. Yeah. Shoot to kill. Baby. Yep um yeah so so no i'm i'm a i'm a big uh mlg fan i played on game battles starting with uh halo 3 and like modern warfare 2 and stuff like that and and um played shadow run and all that stuff and then kind of game hopped around on console playing like 
Brink and Red Faction Guerrilla and Monday Night Combat and like all the every COD that came out, all the gears that came out, right? Sure. So um, played a ton on console, and that's really, really where I, you know, got my my start with esports. But the um, the grassroots element that that MLG had, um, I think it it wasn't going to last forever, sure, right? Like esports was going to get bigger and get more polished, but it's, it's an era that I was glad that I was like mm -hmm. able to experience and like be a part of. And, uh, I will say that to this day, one of my, one of my, uh, favorite things is, is the fact that Sundance retweeted my, my praise of Shadowrun. <laughs> uh, and that just, I was that like, is pretty cool. Let's yeah. Let's, let's go, go Sundance. Yeah. He's he is kind of an enigma now that he's you know retired and and yeah he's like stepped away from yeah. like public life and now he's like his son it's sad like 10, yeah, 10 right 11 and, and he's, he's like, like this big streamer yeah it's, it's I don't wild. know it's cool. it's cool I like how he like he's kind of stepped back and let it do its own thing while he still takes that that management mm. uh, stance and still is like a a voice of reason in esports sure, and knowledge sure. from the business side of things but he'll um. He still makes that that occasional, you know, step out of the shadows and into the light, and it's mm -hmm. just, I just enjoy it. I, yeah, I like he's he's something else. You know, I yeah. he was always that it gave off the vibe of like a really cool uncle to have. Yes. Like, oh yeah, I run like gaming events. Isn't that kind of cool, yeah. guys? Like, you want to come hang yeah. out at my gaming event? I don't know. Seemed yeah, you know always super dope. came up with the Hawaiian shirts like just a very chilled doesn't take himself too seriously. I mean, yeah, you know, he knows good. he knows he's like getting it done. Yeah, and, it's, and like that's what's important. And like people just want want it to be authentic and want mm -hmm. it to be like executed correctly. Like that doesn't mean you you get to just slack off. Like he always got it done. It yeah. was always great. The championship Sundays mm -hmm. always kicked ass, but he was uh he was never it was never like suit and tie uptight sundance and that was no great. no no, no. like i yeah. i can't recall a time i've ever saw like seen or, or remember a time where sundance was in a suit it was always like a, a fairly to kind of go back to the film theory you know very kind of vice you know polo button up yeah and... he could be on a he could be on like a a driving range yeah from like a he just course, yeah, he just, just got back from yeah just shooting 18 and just decided to stop in and see how Puckett and uh sepso and uh shibby and doing the ultimate gaming house oh bro i wanted <laughs> i wanted that dr pepper mini fridge so bad bro so that was bad. that was the, the the most sought out after item i'd say yeah that and the mlg neon sign bro those two things yeah that's, that's the it. that's the stamp of approval. You can't go wrong. Yeah, exactly. With the giant exactly. MLG sign. Um, yeah. From that same discussion with Ham, um, do you remember the flavor grenades that Hot Pocket sponsored them? Yes. Oh, I haven't <laughs> thought about that in years, dude. Oh. I I, I mentioned dude. to her two things because I know that she's obviously going to be a little bit closer than the two of us. But I asked her to ask Pocket about Stride Gum and then the Hot Pocket flavor grenades, like the weird like Stride barbecue, gum. the barbecue. Like I tried them once just because I was like, you know what, you know I like MLG. Hot Pockets aren't terrible. They they've they've had this show your support, bro. Passion child. Let me just. They were terrible. Holy yeah. shit, they were bad. 
Yeah, I stuck to the the Tom T squared Taylor labeled Dr. Peppers, bro. Uh, I did not get, uh, and I I I used Stride gum. I did. I really yeah. Did. Stride's not bad. Don't, um, don't get me wrong. But uh, but yeah, I never. I was never brave enough for the flavor grenades, man. Maybe that's why I didn't get the Ultimate Gaming House. But then again, Ooh. neither did you. So maybe that's true. That's true. Um, I I was very much a lurker. I did not post. I think I have, if I can recall, even my. I don't even know if they're still around. I think I made like one post, like when Reach was a thing about you know what the competitive setting should be, and I'm, I don't know things. I just put in my two cents and never checked it back, and whatever it wasn't. Yeah. No, my the the I mean I I posted a pretty decent amount, but the the post that I remember the most sure. uh, on the the MLG forums, which are now down by the way, oh. I was trying to go through and find this post to save it, and I couldn't. Um, but our high school made like shirts for fundraising for like the different teams and you could like mm. buy a shirt to support the team. Sure. And there was one for like the wrestling team and it literally had the final boss logo, like the exact <laughs> same logo um, on the shirt. And it's like, I don't know if they just like bought it from the same like person that final boss bought it from or if they just like legit ripped Straight it or something. Copy, like, yeah. I don't know. Um, but it was li- literally the exact same. So, um, uh, my actually one of my friends that I went to high school with, I did not know was not just a, an MLG forum user, but a power user mm. um, made a thread about it. And I was like, Oh, well I'm, he didn't post any pictures. I'm going to post some pictures of this fucking <laughs> dirt, bro. That looks, uh, yeah, exactly. Like the, the final boss logo has a final boss logo on it. So that was one of my, my favorite, like when I think back to the MLG like era, it's like me posting online, like my high school shirt still final boss's logo. <laughs> like that's that's what I remember, you know. It was great. Would you say that MLG and and the kind of grassroots events and and the, the atmosphere in the community with like you know the the post IRC boards kind of shaped your interest into getting into like League of Legends or you know some of the modern esports titles? Sure, sure. Well, well, league was a weird transition for me, but I was, I was very much involved in the 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 IRC era okay. um, as well. I also was doing some uh, in Halo Three. I was really big into Griffball. Um, All right. Competitively, RoosterTeeth.com ran a league. They're bringing it back with the Master Chief Collection. <laughs> um, so they're they're actually bringing back a old Halo Three Griffball league. So if any of you guys liked Halo Three Griffball, which was I mean, the best script ball, we don't have to argue about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, if any of you guys are, are into that, there there's interest there. Look up AGLA Griff Ball. It's dope. Um, I'm, I'm looking to make a comeback. Oh. Uh, so you and the we'll, Montreal we'll boys, maybe? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to have to <laughs> purchase an Xbox so I can play. Um, but... Uh, but no, the the transition to League of Legends, actually, funnily enough, my, my little brother played this game uh global agenda i sure, think it was sure. like the very first high-res game it was like a free-to-play mm-hmm. mmo it's like a sci-fi uh, kind of like yeah you're like mmo rpg yeah, yeah yeah like i didn't I, okay i didn't really play the game that much like sure. my little brother played it and i was just like no dope. shame like have fun playing the game you know no worries i've never been super big into mmos i don't like grinding i just like playing competitively against sure. someone from the jump I don't want to have to level up to be able to, you know, be better. <laughs> get than the skill whatever. and then get the armor. Yeah, yeah, nah, skip exactly. all that. I just want to. I just want to 1v1. Either. Gotcha. Um, not that I'm good at, at <laughs> all that, but like that's what uh, that, interests but, me. Yes, know? exactly. Um, so 
But my so high res shut the game down because they were working on their next game. They high resed it. Um, <laughs> you know the the start of a streak. Um, but he was looking for another game to play that was free to play, and we had kind of a crappy computer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like the terrible family computer in the living room. Um, and I uh, I just did some research, and League of Legends had just come out of beta a few months ago, um, and I uh, I told him he should play that, and I like set him up an account, and I downloaded the game because he was just like depressed that Global oh. Agenda was dead and wasn't doing anything. Um, so I. I set it up on the computer for him and, and had him play and he got super into it. And then a few months later, around like November of, I think, 2010. Okay. Um, it, I think that's the year it was. It was, I, I started playing right when Trundle and like Cassiopeia came out. So it was, um, yeah. it was shortly after the beta. I'm pretty sure it was around November of 2010 um, is when I started playing. And I just got, once I started playing, I got, I got super into the game uh and really liked a lot it was my first like actual pc game i played like i mean i say that i played like art some rts games in like the 90s like when i was way younger sure on my stepdad's computer i played like the red alert games um command all the command and conquer stuff like tiberian sun tiberian dawn um i really liked those games but other than that, it was mostly console stuff for me uh, growing up. So League was a was an interesting step back in. You know, going to MLGs and viewing MLG, there was always like StarCraft stuff going on and sometimes WoW Arena stuff. I would get like kind of interested in StarCraft, but um, not really in WoW. And but but the first PC esport I was genuinely like a spectator for, kind of involved in, was League of Legends. Yeah. Hmm very interesting it's the more the more we talk the more kind of similarities like i grew up on rts i'm kind of a blizzard baby and i remember red alert 2 and trying to play against people on LAN and and tiberian sun and me and my dad would have little strats and i'd sit and like watch him and like the little dudes like the the bikes would blow up and you have like tires bouncing around like the little robot cyborg dudes when they got like too low health that like their legs would blow off and they'd be crawling around all slow i don't know just random facts that i remember but yeah how how exactly did the the interest and the love well, I don't know if I'd say love, but you know, you maybe can correct me if I'm wrong. The the interest from League of Legends, how did that kind of transfer to Overwatch? When did you first kind of see it? What was your first take on it? I know that some people were a little standoffish because they're like, I don't know what this is, but you know, tell me how you first got into Overwatch specifically. Sure, sure. So I had a a long time. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was playing League for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, ever since it first came out, I was super into it. I was watching all the games i was into it from a competitive standpoint i really liked the esports uh side of it you know staying up all night to watch korean and chinese matches and i was just kind of like i get really into things when Mm -hmm. i get into them so i was really into league and league esports for years um but it got to the point where i was kind of getting burned out on league of legends i was kind of sick of you know the newest jungle rework and you know the um the newest rebalance of of uh heroes and i was just kind of getting um kind of just i felt the game was getting stale i wasn't really happy with where it was going i wasn't really interested in it anymore it was just kind of it had run its course for me personally Mm -hmm. um 
and this was I was starting to feel like really bad league fatigue about six months before Overwatch's um, release. Uh, I was not in the beta at all, but I was like, maybe this will be a game I can be interested in. This is really cool. I'm like, League was my first PC game, but I was into shooters on console all growing up. You know, this could be a cool marriage of those those ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm really big into the esports side. I've never really big been big in a Blizzard esport. Um, that's always something that I I uh, have been interested in is how Blizzard does their um, their esports obviously from from the StarCraft um, mm-hmm. side of things um, and Hearthstone had never really been my uh, my jam uh, either so I was I was happy to to look at that so I just started I started watching tournaments in beta um, I mean I wasn't in the beta but I was watching all the sure. the events like from the jump um, so way back anything that was streamed even when it was just people's POVs um, <laughs> before they were even really getting casted so. Uh, basically I was just burned out on my last title and I saw Overwatch as, you know, it's got a lot of appeal from, you know, MOBA, the MOBA genre that I'm familiar with, both League and Dota, Mm -hmm. uh, because during my first League burnout phase, I tried to hop to Dota and I was like, this doesn't actually fix anything or make it better. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really what caused me to transition into Overwatch and to be really big in the scene. And then obviously when Overwatch League got announced, I was just super hyped to see um, how that would pan out and then mm. what it would look like for, you know, the difference between what we're talking about at MLGs, which are, you know, circuits with people just like driving to a convention center. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, I played an open bracket to try and qualify in. And then there's the style of Overwatch League where it's like, well, that's not exactly, you know, how it works anymore. It's it's more like a, a real professional sports league that I was used to watching growing up. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool um, to hear that they were going to go for something like that. So, of course, I was just super interested and only really from a spectator's perspective. I wasn't really looking to to be involved in the scene. Mm-hmm. Um directly but i was just really hyped to to watch all of it and enjoy the esports scene kind of be a part of it in that sense and that's where i kind of wanted to go next um again most people probably first kind of caught wind of you with the jane kind of analysis contest but there there seems to be a gap in between when you kind of were first interested in overwatch and and that moment so what kind of lit the spark into you kind of putting your foot forward and, and trying to um, work with teams or, or maybe even be a player yourself. What kind of fill in that blank for me? Sure. Sure. So definitely at no point was it in my, <laughs> in my future to be a player. Um, Fair enough. I'll blame it on the fact that I grew up playing console games, but I, I have potato aim. Um, I, I am bad at clicking on things. So there was never a, <laughs> Um, a chance for me to to make it pro from a player perspective but basically um throughout my time in in other esports as a fan i was always very interested on the analytical side like i said i would i would you know write my own analysis and like make blog posts and and you know go on reddit and and you know talk about what i thought was going to happen i i actually won a couple prediction contests and and stuff like that in league of legends and i was always just really into the strategic side of things Mm. um and that carried over into overwatch but what what made me decide i wanted to take overwatch seriously 
Um, and originally, I wanted to to be a caster and do content, and that's why I have casts um, <laughs> in my name because I was uh, casting Overwatch. It's true. Um, but basically, the the spark of of all of that was uh, my my girlfriend Riley got a a trip like a conference out to LA for her her school. Um, she's a theater major, and they were, a show she was in was basically playing at a a conference there. Um, so they flew her out and and had all this stuff paid for the trip. So it was really cheap for me to just go on the trip as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she was busy doing, uh, you know, stuff she had to do at the conference, I just went to some owl matches, um, <laughs> and uh, I just really, really was inspired by the the atmosphere in the arena. Um, and I just thought like, man, imagine my job being to come here, mm. <laughs> uh, instead of, you know, the, the job I had, which at the time was working in a call center for a major insurance company. Um, certainly not as exciting, um, as, as competing, you know, and, and being in an arena like that and, and feeling, you know, how, how excited everyone was to be there. Um, so that really made me want to try and, and take it seriously to have esports be a job. But yeah, I did start out casting um, during my time in college. I had run some some like local LAN events for our our university gaming club, which um, was pretty. Some of the events were were pretty large, um, and I casted both league and melee uh, at those events, and I helped run uh, like the casting teams, like picked awesome. other casters, put duos together, helped them improve all sorts of stuff. So I had experience. Um, in casting and broadcasting so I that's where I wanted to to look um, initially and I was you know that's kind of where I set my sights I was like hey I want to make content and try and cast and use my analysis from that angle I had a video lined up I was like all right so I'm really interested in the different styles of defense on Hanamura point a that we're seeing in in Overwatch League, some teams are putting Arisa on the low ground. Some teams are putting Arisa on the high ground. Some teams are running like monkey comps on defense. Like what's going on? Some some teams are playing Reinhardt up close, like Dallas Fuel. Um, so I, and this was in stage four, and I was like really interested in that. So I started writing up a video, and then Jane announced that he was having an analysis contest based on Philadelphia Fusion getting full held on Hanamura Point A. Oh, so you were already like, prepped. I was like, let's go, baby. <laughs> um, so I basically had already shot half of my video mm. um, where I talked about things in general and like what I thought about the point and why different strategies worked the way they did and like what the goals of the strategies were. And I was going to shoot the second half the next day. And he announced the contest after I had shot the first half on the first day. So on the second day, all I did was add as one of the specific examples philly fusions push right um to talk about what i had just talked about in the first half so i didn't even have to change the first half at all i just added a couple minutes of content to the second half of the video um and posted and submitted it i did not expect to do well at all um really the reason that i was so excited to submit it was jane said that he would give at least a sentence or two of feedback to every single entrant Mm. And to me, I was like, that's what I want to know. Like, this is the first thing that I'm trying to do in taking esports seriously. I want to make sure I'm on the right track. This is a great opportunity to get some sort of feedback, maybe get some, you know, positive encouragement and like keep pushing through. Um, 
And then with no warning, no one like told us how the rounds were going or anything. He just tweets the results hmm. and just I like did like a triple take. I was like, no, this is like this is like a typo or something, bro. Like this isn't me, you know, like I didn't I literally didn't believe it. Hmm. Um, so it was, it was like a crazy moment. Um, and then he had us on stream, had all the finalists on stream to talk and um, a lot of the other finalists are now doing coaching stuff as well. I was really the only one that was looking at it from a content perspective. The other people were all wanting to be coaches. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think I ended up winning the on-stream segment mostly because I was just like using the skills from casting of sure. like staying on topic and like moving quickly and like getting to the point quickly where a lot of the other guys had really, really smart things to say but weren't as focused or were a little nervous and were going off on tangents and stuff like that. Mm. And I think that the the format just kind of played to my strengths of, of the broadcast background. Um, so that just ended up helping me a lot. And then from there, I just kept casting, um, kept making connections, kept trying to make content. And eventually I uh, was able to, to get the gig as analyst on Hurricane. And that was really where my competitive uh, experience kind of got started. And, and and that's what's so interesting when we when we talk about the the dynamics and the dichotomy between you know the old MLGs and how grassroots they were and Overwatch with its its massive franchise league and where is there room for any kind of community growth? I think what you know Jane's doing with Elo Hell and what he's previously done with his you know his little analysis competition, there still is an element. Of, of grassroots movements and, and people being able to shine. And I think your story blossoming in from somebody who was just trying to make a video, you know, and it just so happened to align so perfectly and coincidentally, almost just, it perfectly fits with it. You, you slap the big brain on there and you're immediately kind of um, thrust into an Academy team for an overwatch league slot kind of uh first impressions maybe of a, a visceral memory of of just kind of when did it all kind of set in when when did the sur the, the surreal feeling kind of uh hit you that wow like a, a week ago i was you know taking calls from a call center and now i'm now i'm doing this full time like when when did that all hit you sure sure well during hurricane um i was still working um my my job in the insurance company so mm. i was still working there um depending on the week like 25 or 30 hours okay um and then hurricane was uh, a lot of hours uh as well <laughs> um but basically the it was it was still kind of crazy just because i did have to reduce my hours at my mm. my regular job and of course all my coworkers are like, hey, you know, we, you're not around as much. Like, you know, what's going on? And I have to kind of explain to them that I'm like, you know, coaching this for gaming this thing, British, yeah. you know, Overwatch team, um, which is just, it doesn't get any simpler to explain or easier sure. to explain to people. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. And I'm, I'm not really a fan of like having those conversations and trying to explain <laughs> it to people. I like it more when people are just like, yeah, okay all right okay and like you know we and just, then we just move, move on, on. You know? exactly yeah exactly um so yeah but but really it um it didn't really sink in entirely until i was able to leave that job 
um, after getting picked up by Montreal, uh, the Toronto Academy team, okay. which is obviously my my current position. But before that, it was still um, it was still like I am I want to make this happen, mm-hmm. but it hasn't fully happened for me yet because I am I still have to have my my day job, you know. Right, yeah. Um, but with Hurricane, it still was very much like it was like halfway there because it's not like I'm I'm um, I'm not supporting myself doing this, but I'm competing and I am very competitive. Um, Mm. So I very, very much like wanted to win and was willing to put in an insane amount of time and effort to try and, you know, make the team as, as good as possible. And that's the thing is that I, there's no universe where hurricane would have asked me to work as many hours as I did, but um, I want to win. Like I just, there's no, there's no two ways about it. So whatever I can do to make that more possible is, is what I'm going to do. Um, but I, I really, really liked my time with hurricane and I don't think that I could have asked for a better start in overwatch than, you know, being underneath the, the cloud nine org, um, obviously a really big, well-respected org with a lot of resources. Um, and they have plenty of good people working for them. So I, I really enjoyed my, um, my time with them and then the individuals on hurricane, um, obviously Nuki is just has a sterling reputation for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is absolutely great. Um, plenty of good players. there. players that I am surprised they're still in contenders and haven't been picked up for overwatch league, especially considering, um, how important I think having European players with goats experience on your team right now is, um, but yeah, and the, the coaches as well. Elbion's great. Um, Knox is a is an excellent head coach with a great mind for the game. Uh, and we were even working with Christopher mm-hmm. for a little bit. Um, obviously, it was unannounced. He was working with us, and then he got yoinked to to <laughs> Philly, so he wasn't with us for too long. But he was uh, just an absolutely excellent coach um, when he was with us. So I'm sure that he's doing really really good things with with Philly now as well. Well, it looks to be, you know, Phillies, Phillies at least doing okay for themselves. We'll, we'll, have to, uh, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens with week two. But, you know, I, I did want to kind of reference something that he mentioned uh, before we jump straight into, you know, how Montreal was built and, you know, the nitty gritties with the Rebellion, right? Um, sure, sure. On the topic of, you know, bringing European talent within the league and, you know, how important that might be. Um, Christopher had mentioned that maybe the hurricane might not have been the best bet because you guys were a team that was very flexible, that, that did want to play some multi DPS compositions. You know, you had a lot of different looks. Does that, uh, is that true? Is, is Christopher kind of speaking out of, out of, out of, out of school here? You know, how, how strong was the hurricanes goats? So, so I think for sure by the time playoffs came around mm-hmm. in season three, we were the second best team in Europe or in the top two. It was us and Giganti and then everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can see that by the results that they got, how closely we played them um, in the first round and how they comfortably, uh, you know, kind of cruised past the other teams in, mm-hmm. in playoffs. Um so I think that if you were to bring that Hurricane team into um, a competition with Overwatch League teams, I think you would see them be more proficient at GOATs than mm-hmm. these Overwatch League teams, but additionally have that flexibility that I think the Overwatch League teams haven't 
um, fully explored yet. So I think that we're seeing a lot of teams rely heavily on goats because they put so much practice time sure. into goats um, purely because it's a comp they're not good at and they know it's going to be necessary on some maps in some situations. But certainly the level, the amount or from a percentage basis, the amount of goats that we're being uh, is being played right now is not going to continue. Mm. Like for sure, uh, the amount of goats is, is definitely going to go down. Uh, definitely some teams are going to realize that they're not going to be able to compete with the best goats team. So they're not going to try and go into those goats mirrors. It's just going to be bad for them. But there are also a lot of points where goats can be very easily um, assaulted and punished by triple or quad DPS compositions, um, especially on like payload maps. It can be questionable on assault because snowballing that second point can be difficult with DPS comps um, because Goach just has so much sustain and so much HP to burn mm. through. Um, but I think we'll, we'll see a lot less goats be played and, and a lot more of these DPS comps. And then we'll also start seeing, you know, even dive and, and other DPS comps that aren't made to beat the tanks, but are made to actually counter uh, the, the DPS that we're seeing come out from the other side. So control maps, I think, We'll see some examples of that where right now we're seeing kind of one team go out on a GOATS comp and the other team come out on like a Farah DPS. Mm -hmm. We'll start seeing teams anticipate the Farah DPS comp, the anti-GOATS to come out. So they'll play a DPS that, that is, you know, set up to beat that Farah. So play like a, a Widow or Ash hitscan comp uh, with some flankers so that they can take out that Farah and kind of punish the solo heal or, or dual heal kind of solo main tank style. Um, that we're seeing so I, I i think that we started to see hints at that if you mm -hmm. go back and watch some of the control maps uh, from the end of the the first week of owl you'll actually see some yeah. teams uh starting to mess around with that a little bit uh to to varied success sometimes just having to swap but i think you're going to see a lot more exploration in that way and i think the fact that hurricane is flexible and does have the ability to play that would actually kind of play into their hand in the long run throughout stage one all right, Christopher. Put on notice. Dreamcast coming for that that Philly spot. We just got to get through one season contenders and coming coming for you, buddy. Coming for you. Now, speaking of contenders, you're now the head coach of the Montreal Rebellion. Um, you know, we, we didn't get to uh, meet the expectations of you know being able to quit the job and and make this full time full time right it's 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 finally a reality with montreal um i'll, I'll re-ask the question how how does that feel amazing man it's 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 so great to be able to just uh get up and know that i can focus entirely on overwatch um and not have to to worry about um you know my day job and mm. the stresses of an office job and and dealing with all that stuff and trying to work time in to watch vods while i'm at, at work and sure. um and stuff like that being able to to schedule out my day and focus and put all my energy into it um just feels it feels great because this is um this is something that i i really like doing and i i like competing and i want to feel like i can give my all uh to the to the competition to try and win so it's it's honestly it's like a relief of like this whole extra thing that i had to uh, you know, to worry about when I was trying to balance what sort of prep I could do or what improvements we could make. Now I can just put all my focus and energy into it. And it is, it is nice. It's pretty nice. That's good. I'm, I'm yeah, glad yeah. to hear. I'm glad to hear. Now, 
did you have full control of how the roster was kind of picked through? Could we, you know, talk and, and walk through exactly how uh, this this rebellion roster kind of came to be? Sure, sure. So the staff was put together first. Um, we came together as a staff. So that's Blizzard as the manager, myself as the head coach, and Zenith uh, as the assistant coach. Um, there was some input from you know, Defiant um, and uh, Babinski, the Mirage management as to who would be in the trials. Mm -hmm. um, and we also brought the people we wanted to bring into the trials. Um, and I wouldn't say that I had like complete executive decisions over who I wanted. Like if, if I had wanted someone and no one else wanted them, I would not have gotten my way. Okay. Um, but it just so happens that the people that I wanted in every role were ev like were agreed on. Like people agreed with me. They were happy to make that decision. We never had to butt heads mm. um, on it. It felt like we kind of knew what we wanted from the team, what our vision of the team is, what our priorities were, what we were looking for from players, wanting them to be like with such a short amount of time sure. um, to get the team together and get up on the meta. We wanted players that we were confident weren't going to have um any like synergy or attitude issues people that were professional wanted to work hard i mean we're moving to a gaming house we needed people that that we felt uh, wouldn't be an issue in an environment like that and obviously we're looking for uh players that are that are intelligent right because mm -hmm. we need to be able to put the team together quickly i need to be able to to give players assignments on things to work on or or vod to watch and be confident that they can take something away from that without always having to have coaching resources given to them um, so we put a lot of, of emphasis on that. Um, and obviously mechanical skill is, is uh, a big thing we, we look at as well. But there was, no, there was no big disagreement or argument amongst management and coaching staff on who we were going to get. Uh, we knew who we wanted. Thankfully, we're, we were able to make them offers that, that they were happy with. And we were able to put together what I think is a, is a pretty strong team in, in North American contenders. So I'd I'm say very so. happy with it. I, I think you got some uh, some big hitters on there. Logics. I remember Chain being out there. I think he, if I remember correctly, I think he had like a, a substitute for Envision when they went to China. If I'm remembering correctly, again, you know, it, there are some some big hitters on that roster. I think Naga, Hui, you know, names that people who follow contenders are going to know and are going to definitely want to support. I think uh, I think people are. Um, I don't think I've seen power rankings just yet because we're not entirely too sure when contenders is happening, but uh, I'm sure they'll be out there and I'll be interested to see exactly how the community is ranking you guys. I, I hear that people are very fond of the logo, though. I hear that branding is A+. Plus, best in, yeah, best our in branding so is the best in contenders. <laughs> no questions asked. Um, I'll even stick it to the, you know, endemic esports works that have their classic branding like Envy and Energy. It's not as good as the Montreal Rebellion. Um, our branding say. is sick. Quite good. Uh, it's very good. Um, and that's a great thing. Um, we've also got a bunch of really cool sponsorships lined up. Um, obviously, I can't name everything until it's announced, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of local support and enthusiasm in Montreal for having a Montreal-based esports team, and that is affording us a lot of very good cool. opportunities in montreal that i think is is really really cool because especially with these contenders teams having a a name associated with them 
um hasn't had a super good history like the seattle sure, sky fox is sure. having to get rid of their name or toronto esports you know kind of ending in disgrace um and not really having too much to do with toronto there's there's genuine efforts being put out as you can see in our marketing with mm-hmm. a bunch of you know uh stuff being put out in french as well as english right to to really connect with the the french canadian audience the the quebecois audience um and to to feel like there is a reason we are called the montreal rebellion because Mm -hmm. we really do want to have a connection to the city of montreal to the people of montreal in a way that a lot of frankly owl teams haven't been able to do yet because they don't get to play in their home city all the time they don't get to live in their home city all the time i think we're going to to really uh, take a lot of advantage of that. And that's like a goal of the organization that I, I really appreciate a lot. So it's, it's going to be really great. Um, we're going to be in the house soon and, and things are going to, going to kick off. I'm very excited actually. Good. I mean, it sounds like, you, you know, you're, you're definitely jazzed, but I wanted to kind of get into, um, I wouldn't say it's a hard or a fastball, but you, you went from, and, Again, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong in saying this, but on the British Hurricane, you were listed as an analyst, and now with yes. the Montreal Rebellion, you are head coach. Is there is there a, a jarring feeling for you kind of transitioning into a role that undoubtedly has a lot more responsibility, or is this something that you kind of you know came up through um, when, when you were younger, maybe played sports and kind of a natural leader? Is this something that you're uh, intimidated by at all? Kind of what's your thoughts about the head coach kind of transitional period? Sure, sure. I mean, there's some sense of it is a different role. Um, I do feel comfortable with the responsibility um, of overseeing the team and kind of taking a more broad stance. Like, I'm not just in charge of strategy. Now I have to worry about, you know, my players' well-being and Mm -hmm. and their, you know, mentality in a much more direct way um, and work on managing everything together, making us a cohesive group. Um, But, yeah, I, I... it's certainly not intimidating. It is something where it's not something I've done in esports before. Sure. Um, so I I do want to kind of tread carefully and like be aware of of areas where I might make mistakes and try and correct them as quickly as possible. I don't want to go in just thinking I'm, you know, doing everything right because there's no way that that's the case, right? I want to try and identify my my weaknesses and improve them as quickly as I can. But mm. but I'm certainly not. Um, yeah, certainly not intimidated or, or worried about that. I think we have a, a really good uh, team to work with. So I don't, it's not like a lot of heavy lifting has to be done in that sense. Sure. Um, and I have, you know, players, we have a core of players from first gen. We have a core of players from XL2. Um, we have coaching coming from first gen and we have a lot of good, a uh, lot of good insight and assistance and connection to the staff of our um, Al team as well. So we have a ton of resources at our disposal. So I don't really feel like um, it's not like I'm the only one that has to do these things. We have mm-hmm. a great like support network for everyone. Um, so it, it really feels like a very natural transition, um, especially considering in my background, like I've worked as a um, as a supervisor and a manager in in a retail sen- scenario before with people more than double my age, mm-hmm. you know, that don't want to listen to me at all. Um, and so this isn't new, you know, that. yeah. So even if he gets a bad scene, worried about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not something I'm intimidated um, okay. about. I, I, I know, kind, you know, broadly 
what to worry about what's coming i've been in esports and i've seen enough teams and i I, you know you you see a lot of things that happen and you pick up a lot along the way um and again i have a like the the staff that i have with me shouldn't be uh underestimated either i mean i think blizzard could be a a head coach for a lot of of uh overwatch contenders teams i mean he was head coach of first gen so as a manager um he's like super invaluable because not only can he he do all the those managerial uh things but i can also when we want an extra set of eyes to look Mm -hmm. at something um we can ask for it when we say hey you know there are three players that want a one-on-one before our scrims today i'm taking one of them you know zenith is taking the other can you do a one-on-one with this player and and talk to them about these topics that we know you know they need to go over they want to go through one of their vods i have complete trust in in giving that over to blizzard and that's that's an insane uh advantage and an insane way to be able to use your manager that I don't think very many head coaches have the ability to to ask their managers to contribute in that way. So I I think I think it is a natural transition for me personally, but because of the system that we've built, because of the staff personnel and the players that we have, um, it's not a it's not a particularly big burden. We've got a really good group of guys, I think. Good, good, good. It sounds like everything has been uh, fairly easy the transition you know still there's there's moving to be done but the players all seem to be super excited you seem uh you threw the moon you know quit the job we're doing this full time it's time to you know really invest i think you know gonna see a little bit of a level up i think you you, the, the the training weights are off you know you can you know reach peak dream analysis coaching all that jargon but within contenders within that topic i want to get a little bit of a a read on your fellow opponents now that we know that north america is being split you have landed within north america east along with fusion university the uprising academy gladiators legion mayhem academy second wind chicken contendies and bermuda is this an easy group so i know that is our group I am not sure if it has been confirmed which is east and which is west, even to the teams yet. Ooh, okay. I think it's just being put out that way just so people have like a, a delineation. But I'm not sure that that's been decided on to be hmm, okay. um, to be clear. So we'll see. Um, Fair enough. I think that uh, that of the two groups, we got the easier one. Yes. Um, I think that. I think that um, the big difference to me is in the trials teams coming in. I mm. think the trials teams in our group um, are not as good as Square One. Um, Square One in the other group is a is a goats team um, that I think will give trouble to some of the academy teams. Um, I expect there to not be. Um, that much struggle in our group uh coming from the trials teams um and i think that i think the big question for me comes in with um two of the academies one in each group one is nrg Mm -hmm. um in the other group i'm not sure which nrg is going to show up if it's going to be the nrg from the beginning of last season right um that looked kind of messy or nrg towards the end of last season where they look like they had improved and leveled up quite a bit um, so it really depends on which NRG is going to show up. So that'll tell us a lot about the, you know, the competitiveness, the strength of the other group. Um, and then also the question of 
in in our group what's going to happen with uprising is fusions just going to stay in overwatch league he's only played two games in overwatch league so they could just send him back to contenders have axiom play main tank have color hex on dps and fusion stays in contenders in which case they are a a pretty strong team in the current meta but i think the loss of fusions would would hit them pretty hard um so i would expect them to be you know less competitive for the you know the first or second place in the group if they don't have fusions um so i think that's really gonna you know influence things a lot there's maybe some flux going on with atlanta as well obviously dogman has moved up mm -hmm. not sure what's going on with gator similar to fusions so it's still kind of kind of questionable um but sh surely if fusions stays with um, uprising academy and then you know gator is gone from atl dogman is gone from atl and you know nrg kind of falls back into their old form um, then certainly they would have you know a, a probably a weaker group than ours it kind of depends on how a lot of these roster shakeups are going to work especially considering you know we don't know the exact start date but it is very soon sure um you know we know it's going to be starting soon so they're not going to have a ton of time to adapt if there are these roster changes so there's a little bit there's a sense of like the jury still being out mm -hmm. um but if things go in a in a typical like average average way i would expect us to have the the weaker group overall than the other one so you're telling me i get to uh see my boy dreamcast uh overthrow the fusion university dynasty is that, is that what i'm hearing I mean, I don't think we play them right away. I'm not looking at the schedule right now, so I'm not sure. Um, I think it'll depend on when we play them in the um, in the season, if we can get our, our everyone peaking and kind of everything working uh, together at the right time. But honestly, um, because of my understanding of the format, I think the majority of the teams mm -hmm. make playoffs because i'm fairly certain in the other regions where it's eight um eight teams in the region six teams make playoffs uh two teams don't and then the first and second seed get a, a first round bye um mm. so that would mean we would really only need to avoid being bottom two in our group to make playoffs and in in my mind the goal of every team this uh this split should be to finish top three and to make the showdown sure. making the showdown to me is the the ultimate goal um that is what i care about mm -hmm. more than anything else this season um so overthrowing funi in the regular season you know giving them a loss there doesn't matter that much to me like obviously i want to win every set of but course, even if we do that that does not satisfy me for the season if we beat them in the regular season but then don't make the showdown we have failed mm. um so what what the goal is is to make the showdown so if we meet them in the playoffs yes i definitely want to beat them and make the showdown playing them in the regular season i'm not as concerned about because even if we win that doesn't mean we get the ultimate goal that's what i want um is to peak during playoffs and to be able to make it to the showdown that's what's going to give my players meaningful land experience mm -hmm. that's what's going to give them the international shine where scouts are going to be seeing them instead of looking at the world cup this, this is how I can get my players signed to Overwatch League. Um, and that's that's my job, is to help them develop as players and to help us succeed as a team so that we can get people transitioned into the Overwatch League. The way we do that is by making the showdown. So that's our focus. 
Definitely, definitely. I can understand, you know, that that is the goal of a coach, right? You, you're trying to grow the players, you know, you, you kind of almost have to put yourself second because it, it, this is a kind of a supportive role, you know, where we're trying to, you know, help people grow and facilitate them. So, you know, it, it is a it is a bit of a, a change up now that we have, you know, lands for contenders and the showdown and the gauntlet, um, you know, is, is are we looking farther ahead to uh the the gauntlet are we uh perusing what it might be like to to play against some of the best teams in the world is that something that uh is it too far reaching or is that maybe like a um stars and moon goal so if we shoot for the stars we just land on you know the showdown and we do we perform well at the showdown and if we make the gauntlet that's just extra credit um well the gauntlet would be obviously at the end of second season sure so we're we're not really worried about the gauntlet right now at all just because that's so far in the future mm-hmm. um we're more concerned with with you know right now and what we can do with this season which will get us to showdown but i think that um i mean maybe if the meta shifts a lot in the second season that uh the korean or chinese teams will be better than the western teams but i don't think that's the case right now mm-hmm. um i think that the show the level of competition at the atlantic showdown will be higher than the level of competition at the pacific showdown um and that's just because of the current meta because korea just hasn't caught up yet there's totally a potential that that'll happen um i know element mystic is scrimming in north america right now um i guess they traveled to na i don't i don't actually know the details but that's what i've heard um so i'm assuming that that's to be able to scrim owl teams while they're here Mm. um again i don't actually know um it seems like you know they could get plenty of value scrimming in korea so they have to have some sort of reason to want to come over here to scrim i would assume overwatch league teams but um it's only speculation but um I think that's smart because I think the teams here are better than the teams sure. there. Um, and I think that, for example, there are some teams in the offseason for Overwatch League that went and boot camped in Korea or went and boot camped in China. Um, and they should have boot camped in Europe. Um, and they should have boot camped in Europe the way that Paris did. Mm-hmm. And look at how it paid off for Paris. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that the best North American academies versus the best... Uh, um, the best European teams, the best European academies will be the highest level of competition. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, um, but the only way I could really see that happening is if the two Chinese academy teams, Guangzhou and Hangzhou, end up just being straight ballers, just mm-hmm. being insanely good. You know what I mean? Otherwise, maybe Korea sends a good team or two, um, but I think between Europe and NA, we will have better teams and then i'm i'm interested to see the performance of this this supposed south american super team Mm -hmm. um that has gotten together purely for the purpose of the showdown which i think is the right play i can't put enough emphasis on on the showdown how important i think that is to to any uh tier two player you know aspirations of of making it to tier one the showdown is how you do it you have to get there um and I think that's what everyone's going to do. So I'd, I'd be really, really interested to see if they are able to follow through on what seems like a clear path to the showdown for them. Um, you know, knock on wood, right? Um, but I, I would love to see, you know, how competitive they are as well. I think South America um, gets a little bit of a bad rap. Um, and I think that if they can put together a really solid team that performs well, not at 
you know, World Cup, which sure, sure. I'm not a big fan of, you know, as far as level of competition. But if they come in here and they're competing with, you know, the likes of Funi, um, the likes of Giganti, you know, these multi-title winning contenders teams in the major regions, that that says a lot, I think. And I think this gives a big opportunity to them. So I I, I hope that they're able to, to show up strong and take advantage of it. Well, my friend, I think we're coming to about that time. I know you got scrims coming up here in a little bit, and I don't want to, you know, uh, you got to eat, you got to hydrate. Shout outs to hydrate button. We don't have a chat because this is pre-recorded, but whatever. Um, but I do want to give any any last words. The floor is yours. I have a very tiny soapbox, but feel free to use it for your own machinations. Sure, sure. I mean, just um, in general, uh I, I really like the the content that you put out, Joe. Well, thank I just, you. I appreciate it, buddy. I, I appreciate you inviting me on. Um, it means a lot. And I do like to be able to talk a little bit about, you know, my, my personal background, my personal life a little bit sure. in case people want to get to know me. So exactly. I, I really appreciate the um, the opportunity. And I just want to give uh, shout outs, obviously, to the people in my life that have been supportive, my family, my girlfriend that have, you know, kind of made this possible. I've had a really fast moving kind of crazy last year. Um, I, uh, I made that trip to LA at the end of April of last year. So less than a year later, and I'm moving into a gaming house to be a head coach of an Academy team. So, and there's no way that that happens without a a ton of support from the people around me. So, um, that goes to my personal life, but also people in, in, uh, esports and overwatch as well. People like you, uh, bench Yiska Nuki, who, you know, took a chance on me, brought me in and, and, you know, saw potential, um so Baroy has has been there been a mentor to me as well so um a lot of people that i i respect and i owe you know a lot to jane obviously for giving me my um my first chance on that contest so Mm. um just a lot of love and and i think that's something that we could do with more in esports is being uplifting to each other trying to help you know other people that we see positive things and succeed so just just messages of of positivity and uh you know, lift each other up. That's how esports is going to prosper. Is if we all help each other, there's there's enough room for for all of us right now. It's going to keep growing. So I think uh, more positivity will help us all in the long run. There we go. We're bringing it full circle, all the way back to the grassroots where we had that beautiful community on those IRC boards. You know, was there a little ish talk, of course, but for the most part, it was you know uh, the the love of the competition and and you know uh, as much as a meme WCG is nowadays. You know, it's it's for the love of the game. So. Um, this is this has been episode 12 dream it's been a pleasure chatting with you um again i probably we'll, we'll see what happens for this season and, and how busy you are maybe maybe we'll get you back on if, if you've got some time but uh uh thanks again for the viewers you know I've definitely i've got uh his socials below i've got my socials under me go ahead follow us he says more big brain stuff i'm a memer it is what it is but we'll see you uh, episode 13. Uh, we'll see who comes on for F13. We might, we might venture out. We might see. But until then.